are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. The MBDA would like to offer a sincere note of thanks to Associate Member Bike Exchange for their continued support of the NBDA and retailers at large. BikeExchange.com is the world's leading bicycle marketplace. Across eight countries, Bike Exchange prides itself as being the one-stop destination to buy, sell, and find everything bike. Since 2007, Bike Exchange has fueled the passion to ride by making it easy to buy and sell online. They connect with consumers everywhere to find, research, and buy all their related cycling needs through their marketplace. They also support and connect hundreds of retail bike stores and brands throughout the world. Bike Exchange is committed to helping people find the right cycling product in a single location and is considered the online destination for all things bicycles. Connecting your retail location to Bike Exchange is free and you pay a commission only on what you sell. Join Bike Exchange today and you'll receive a free one-year membership to the Professional Bike Mechanics Association and a free copy of the NBDA Cost of Doing Business Report. This membership and research has a combined value of $750, and it is being provided free of charge to bike retailers that join Bike Exchange today. Learn more at bikeexchange.com. Welcome to another episode of the Bicycle Retail Radio produced by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. This is Sherry Rosenbaum and your guest host today. As an advocate for getting more people on bikes, I started a blog called Sunflowers and Pedals. I'm also a contributing writer for RoadBikeRider.com and Brain Magazine. Specialty bicycle retailers are the heart of the cycling industry since 1946. The MBDA has existed to strengthen these businesses through education, research, communication, and advocacy. The industry and the cycling community follow when we create thriving bicycle retailers. Our focus is on creating activities and programming to enhance your business, increase your long-term profitability and success. We wish to see the entire bicycle industry to continue to thrive and all within to find the genuine work-life balance, lasting friendship, and the comfort of a truly connected industry. By supporting each other, our hope is that the Bicycle Retailer Radio Podcast allows a spot for connectivity, advancement, and engagement through sharing a bit of each of our authentic selves. The MBDA is a nonprofit supported by the memberships of participating retailers and industry partners. If you're not already a member, you can learn more and join at mbda.com. Today's guest is Josh Travis, manager of Fat Tire Bikes in Bentonville, Arkansas. We're going to talk about Bentonville ride scene and hone in on bike rental business. So Josh, thanks for so much for joining the podcast today. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, we just saw each other a few weeks back when I was in Bentonville. Yeah, no, I was impressed with how quickly you invited me to this podcast, just point blank, and I had to say yes. And well, I, I'm I a definitely listener myself, so uh, it's exciting to be here. Well, cool. You're on the other side of the desk now. Yeah. <laughs> so tell so. me a little bit about yourself. What type of riding you like to enjoy, and how long have you been with Fat Terror Bike Shop? Yeah, so I started riding as a young man, riding my sister's big sister and big brother's 10 speeds around my hometown. 
just immediately took to the exploring aspect of writing and kind of the freeing aspect of that. You know, I had two brothers, two sisters, and very talkative parents. And I was not a talkative person myself. I was pretty introverted, shy kid, and uh, just loved to get out and not have the pressure of the social environment, get out and ride my bike a lot. So that's the early story. And then as things progressed, I got my own job. With my first paycheck, I went out and bought a what I thought was an amazing bike from Shopco. It's a department store out West. I was in Idaho at the time. And it was an huffy Amazon, bright orange, looked amazing hanging on the, the ceiling at Shopco. I thought it was the best thing in the world. Took that bike and just ended up riding all the gravel roads and farm roads in Southwest Idaho near the town I lived at that time. And, um, you know, I was 16, 17 at that time and moved around quite a bit, somewhat of a picture, an introvert going out there and just doing his thing and riding around. Fast forward a couple of years, I'd moved back to Kansas where I'm originally from. Buddy of mine went down to a small bike shop in my hometown there, bought the cheapest Schwinn. And at that time, Schwinn was one of the top brands back in the mid nineties. He took that bike and brought it over to my house. And he said, man, you've got to ride this thing. It's amazing. So I jumped on that after the only thing I knew was a Huffy, right? Thought my bike was great. And I was just blown away, you know, mature 18 year olds going up and down the block, seeing how fast we can go because the bike was so much smoother and so much faster. And we were all just hooting and hollering and we were just instantly hooked. And, you know, people knock materialism and they knock buying things and thinking happiness comes from things. But honestly, at that point, happiness came from that thing. (laughs) And I was basically convinced, you know, that, hey, the bike makes a difference. The bike makes a huge difference and it will get people hooked for life if they experience the joy of riding such an amazing machine. And of course, that was the cheapest bike at that time. I had to go down to the shop myself and buy something a little bit better than what my buddy had. (laughs) Of course, of course. Of course. You know, I still remember thinking to myself, wow, this is chromoly and it's double butted and it's, you know, it's rapid fire shifting. And, uh, you know, of course, this was 26 inch wheels, no front fork, you know, real bare bones bike by any of today's standards. But to me, it was like the world. It was an amazing thing. And my buddy and I went down to the river in our hometown, uh, down where there's some crazy trails and did what a lot of teenagers do, just see what we could ride. And kind of discovered the more technical side of mountain biking. Anyway, this is a long story. Sorry. So it was great. And we just started like riding on hiking trails and stuff in our hometown there, Independence, Kansas, no groomed mountain biking trails whatsoever, just hiking trails. And, you know, it definitely teaches you some skills to try to ride your bike down those. So that led to a phase where I moved to Idaho, where there's actual mountains. It was an easy move for me, had some relatives out that way. And my buddy followed me. Essentially, we moved in together and did a bunch of mountain bike racing while we were there in our early 20s. Mountain bike racing leads to road racing. If you want to be a fit mountain bike racer, you should be a road rider as well. And there's some great gravel roads and mountain roads up in that area as well, Boise, Idaho, and that vicinity. So that just kind of led to sort of the all-around rider that I am today, which is you know road, gravel, and mountain. I still want to take up unicycle riding. I still would love to be a dirt jumper. (laughs) You know, there's lots of different kinds of riding I would love to do, but that's kind of like what I got time for at this point. So I'm a mountain biker. First and foremost, I take pride in, you know, thinking I was doing the gravel roads of Montgomery County, Kansas back way back in the day, you know, before it was really a thing, I guess at heart, that's sort of what I like to do is just get out there and explore. And, and then how did you time. end up at Fat Tire Bike? 
and how long you've been there? Yeah. So, you know, there's a long life between what I just told you and now, and really to cut it a little shorter, I started working in the best bike shop in Boise back in 2000. And that's Georgia Cycles. It's just sold bikes just nonstop for 16 years, basically, and took pride in just trying to sell as many bikes as I could, because I thought that every bike makes a difference. Just like Trek says, you know, more butts on bikes, every bike you sell could be a life changed. And I did go to college and get my degree in political science and, you know, different career paths presented themselves, thought about teaching, thought about law. But at the end of the day, it was, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I don't want to make the mistake that I feel like some make and that's end up doing something that they're not passionate about. And there's other things in life besides work and making money. (laughs) You know, I thought I would just keep doing what I'm doing. And at some point, yeah, about five or 10 years into it, I was like, I'm just going to do this. And that's what I'm passionate about. So yeah, anyway, met my wife about 13 years ago and had a kid. And a few years ago, about four years ago, we decided that Boise was getting a little crowded. I'd ridden those trails a, a few thousand times. I was ready for something new. My mom lives about a half a mile due west of here. And my sister lives about a here at the Fat Tire Bike Shop in Bentonville. And my sister lives about a half mile north. My dad, dad lives about four miles up the hill. So I had family who'd located in Bentonville. It was a pretty easy choice, you know, with the young kids to come back home to, to mom and dad and grandpa and grandma, you know. So it was a good move and we're really excited about being here. It's such a vibrant community and it's such a interesting landscape, especially when you're used to the West, when everything is so arid and it's only becoming more arid out West and more smoky in the summertime and to come someplace that's so fresh and so green, it was really cool. That kind of segues. So you managed the bike shop in Bentonville and kind of tell our listeners what the bike scene is like there, because it's really unique. And if you haven't been there, you got to come and visit. Yeah, thank you. The bike scene, it's really like a playground for mountain bikers. You know, you look at the modern mountain bike with its four and six inches of travel and its disc brakes and dropper posts and its 2.5 inch wide tires. And you try to imagine, well, Where's that rider who's riding that bike is going to have the most fun. You know, it's like they built these trails and they did. They built these trails specifically for modern mountain biking, you know, mountain bike specific trails, huge bank turns, whoop-de-woos, drops, uh, wooden features, rocky features. I mean, they move tons of stone every year, creating new trails. Some people call it like the Disneyland of mountain biking. You know, I mean, of course, somebody recently called it the mountain biking capital of the world, which is a bold claim, but yeah, you might as well be bold in life, right? You know, exactly. <laughs> the, the folks who put thousands or millions of dollars into to creating this and drawing people in, you know, maybe they deserve that title because they've done an amazing job and people are just coming in from all over Kansas city, you know, up North Wisconsin, Minnesota, we get so many people coming down who want to get out of winter, <laughs> you know, they're still experiencing winter in April or May. And they're like, I need to get out of here and go someplace. That's nice, you know, beautiful and green. And escape yeah. That's the- why we came down a couple of weeks ago is just to get yeah. away from freezing cold. Yeah, no, it's a really great spot in the country for a lot of people to escape some of the less positive aspects, you know, people from Austin coming up when it's hot, you know, in summertime. So yeah, it's a really great, what do we call mid South kind of location. 
And so it taps into Little Rock and Memphis and Nashville and Houston and Dallas. And a lot of folks just come up here for some fun on the mountain bike. Well, there's, uh, there's more than just mountain biking. There's gravel and there's a whole trail network. So let's talk about this massive trail network. And I understand mm-hmm. that Sam Walton from the Walmart family, his grandkids played a big role in building all this. Yeah, I don't know the inside scoop and exactly how things went at all the inception of this. I'm just sort of guessing here, but I think that I've heard little rumors and stuff that, you know, what we call a hollow along a creek just on the north side of downtown Bentonville belong to the Waltons. It's kind of like their backyard. And as little kids, they, you know, were bushwhacking and exploring that area. And I so I can completely imagine how this happened. And they just got really passionate about building trails and riding just like anybody would. Like anybody's got a cool piece of land, starts thinking about how they could build a trail through it. So definitely give a lot of credit there that I think it just happened organically with their pure enthusiasm for mountain biking. And of course, as they got older, the grandsons of Sam and Helen Walton, of course, they had the funds and they started, you know, planning like masterminds, you know, on, on how to make this the best destination for mountain biking. Again, I don't know the details on how that went down. It is pretty cool to think that just less than a mile north of downtown where we are was the Walton's backyard as kids. And now we have a world-class art museum, Crystal Bridges, and that's free to anybody who visits. You know, you might as well be in Paris. You walk into this place and you've got these multi-million dollar masterpieces in, in this beautiful facility. But then you've got just this trail network that's, you know, all accessible right there. People are kind of blown away. They get to town and they're like, uh, so where should I park to go mountain biking? And I say, well, where are you parked right now? <laughs> you know, exactly. Just, yeah. Just get on your bike and start going. There's you know, and that's trails. The- there's, you know, the mountain bike yeah. trails. There's gravel. I mean, you've got everything there, which is awesome. And then well, you got the I'm art glad- scene and the music scene and great food. So mm-hmm. it's definitely yeah. a destination. Yeah, they're doing a great job. It's an example to a lot of communities on how to just vitalize, you know, their communities and and bring life into things. And, you know, how do you invite people to your area? Well, give them something fun and healthy to do, you know, and yep. mountain biking trails are an easy way to do it. I'm glad you brought up gravel because I'm a huge fan of gravel riding. And the gravel riding around here is something that, is to be proud of. It's, you know, some chunky gravel, but at the same time, you get into some very beautiful areas. So, you know, if if you're not really drawn to the idea of being in a town with a lot of tourists, you know, which of course, downtown Bentonville is full of people visiting. All you have to do is ride your gravel bike two or three miles. And next thing you know, you're in good old Ozarks of, you know, Northwest Arkansas and it's beautiful river valleys and deep Canyon, you know, deep kind of hollows and stuff. So it's, It's really a serene place to be when you go gravel riding around here. Well, let's segue back to fat tire bikes. There's 13 locations in two states, Arkansas and Mm -hmm. Oklahoma. Tell me about the company and the brands you carry. Yeah, I'm not really qualified to speak for the company, but I will tell you what I know. And, you know, I know that fat tire was started by Chris Brosh and Tim Robinson, and who were both pretty young when they started the bike shop, like high school friends, college friends. Chris was big time into to riding and racing. Tim might have been as well, but he is kind of a numbers guy. He really is great starting and crunching numbers and putting a, a business plan together. And we all know that about him. He does a fantastic job. And I think 
they just knew they could do it, you know, especially with the backing and all the synergy coming from the Walton side as well. It's not owned by the Waltons whatsoever. It's two owners and they're passionate about, I think, I mean, obviously with the expansion they've had, it's clear that they're, you know, really passionate about making sure small communities in the region have a good bike shop, pretty straightforward. Just like, why did I get into mountain biking? Because we actually had a a good bike shop in Independence, Kansas, which if you go there now and you see it's kind of a dying town, you're amazed that they would have something like that, you know, and there are definitely communities around here that are not dying towns or great towns like Salem Springs, Fort Smith, you know, Broken Arrow, Tulsa area and all these places, they could definitely justify a shop. But anyway, yeah, they've just been expanding and you know, like, why not that tire? What brands do you model. carry? So we carry Trek as our number one partner and we carry Santa Cruz, Yeti and the brands associated with quality bicycle products, um, Salsa and Surly. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So trying to think if there's anything else I'm missing, would hate to miss something, but yeah, no, definitely Trek is number one and Santa Cruz is number two for us. Well, as we were talking before, you know, Benton Bell area tracks people from all over the United States, not only for mountain biking and road and gravel. And your shop offers a really nice selection of rental bikes. And what percentage of your business is rental? It's about 13%. It was about 13% last year. And everyone's been blown away with the rental business, the growth of the rental business. My bosses, the owners are pretty blown away with, with the growth in the last couple of years. And I think that a lot of it has to do with obviously their investment and willingness to bring in a fleet of about 150 bikes and then having a rental app or rental program that's online officially. If you knew the struggles we've had since I started working here with uh, rentals, I mean, it's good that we're going to talk about this subject because we've been through it all and it's been one of the sources of the most stress and strain for our crew and for everybody. So it all started to smooth out when we got Bike Rental Manager, which I think is one of a few very quality online rental booking apps. So once we got that, we started to smooth out a little bit. And let's talk a little bit about that app because I wasn't aware of it. And I think some of the, mm-hmm. the businesses would love to hear about it. It's what you would expect, really. Like go online. There's a link on our website. And this app, basically, you'll go to a page and you'll select a date and you'll select a category of bicycle that you're interested in. You'll select your dates first. And then once you select that category, it comes up with the different models of bikes and it's got the sizes for those models available. All the information you need to know is right there. You know, you put your sizing recommendations next to the size. So no one's having to call you and ask you about well, what size should I be at the top? It'll say, well, you have you know, selected this date and your reservation is from this time to this time. So it kind of tells you clearly what that is. Best of all for us compared to something we had dealt with prior it just shows availability just right there. You know, if you've picked a date and that bike is booked for that date, it's marked out. It says unavailable, clear as day. And we basically have relied on that 100%. And we have so much confidence in that working correctly as it should that people will call on the phone. And, you know, being customer service oriented people, we want to help them. But when it comes to booking a bike, we know the best thing for that person is to just book online and handle it themselves. And we'll tell them, look, if you have troubles, let us know, but this is going to be easy. Just go online. You pick the date da, 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 da. and they're like, okay, thanks. You know? So I get every day I, I get an email or two from somebody who's like, Hey, we're going to be in town and 
September and we're going to, I've got three kids and he's, you know, long email about what they're going to do. And I say, here's the link. (laughs) This is all you need to do. And even things like group rentals, I spent many hours of my time, my precious, precious time, (laughs) you know, trying to set up group reservations for people. And at some point I'm like, why am I doing this? It's not hard to go on to our app, onto our site and just select 10 or 20 bikes. You just have to scroll through and click, click, click. So it's just like buying anything online. It's not necessarily rocket science and they've got great customer service. Nobody knows your bike shop better than you, but the people who might come the closest are other bike shop owners who are facing the same day-to-day and long-term challenges that you are. Joining a P2 group is one of the most affordable ways to take a deep dive into your business alongside other bike shop owners who are experts in what you do. Reach out today so we can tell you more about how a P2 group can make a difference in your business. Shout out to Jeremy at Bike Rental Manager. (laughs) He does a great job of helping us with the issues that we might have. So definitely a plug for those guys. Before that, we had a system that I will not name that basically you would select the bikes. And then after you selected the bikes, it would tell you if they were actually available. You start selecting bikes. And at the end of the whole process, it'd be like, oh, sorry, by the way, those two aren't available. So then you have to like restart all over again. Yeah, it sounds uh, like much better customer service. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so much the flow is key and not to, you know, beat a dead horse here, but the rental operation has to be perfect. Like you cannot risk ruining someone's well-planned trip, you know, that they excited about. They're coming to an area that they should be very excited to come ride. And if they've booked an e-mountain bike or something like that, the, the responsibility on us to make sure it's here and it's ready to go in the morning is, is huge. So we've basically instituted a very simple rule, and that's called 100% prep, basically meaning when those doors open and crowd of people show up, every single bike for every single customer should be labeled, it should be set up, it should be tuned up, it, there should be nothing that slows the process down and gets in the way. This comes from being in the middle of the chaos of a rental shop where things aren't ready to go. And the stress levels are higher than any other position in the store. You know, whether sales is busy in sales or busy in service, the stress levels of not having a rental shop prepped and having to deal with issues on the spot is really, really high. So we're pretty committed to making sure that rental operation is working well and we've got a good crew. So you have 150 bikes that you rent and that's a mix of e-bikes and regular bikes? Correct? Yeah. So we've got hardtail mountain bikes, full suspension mountain bikes, premium full suspension mountain bikes, aluminum electric full suspension bikes, carbon electric full suspension bikes, hybrid bikes, electric hybrid bikes, the greenway bikes basically, and gravel bikes. And then trailers, we do rent tailgate covers. So yeah, so there's a lot there. It's again, it's, you know, things are only as hard as being understaffed creates, (laughs) you know, so having the right number of people. And then your level of organization, you know, things are only as hard as you allow them to be if you're not organized or not prepared, you know. So we're just trying to staff up that shop. I know my boss, Jeremiah, and his boss, Nicole, you know, the operations director have definitely put a lot of money and support behind getting that rental business going. And what's the pricing structure for the rentals? Yeah, so that's a good question. It's not as some people might think. So what we do is a open to close day. Okay. So 
one day is defined by open to close. That leaves out the folks who may want to be able to pick up at 3 p.m. and then drop off at 3 p.m. the next day. So that's a 24-hour rate. But anyway, as far as pricing goes, it's 40 bucks for a, a hardtail, 60 bucks for a standard full suspension, and both of those for the day. And both of those, we purposely set the price a little lower than I think a market like this would normally, you know, rent them at, because we just want to make sure that, you know, we've got bike for the people who just show up and they're like, oh, this is mountain biking, you know, and we don't want to scare off everybody with like just an insanely high rate on some of our standard bikes. For example, our hybrid bikes just for getting around town are 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. The other reason we kind of set the price a little bit low on those is we've learned from experience that the 24-hour rate when you have a large fleet is almost impossible to handle logistically. It creates massive issues. So for us, you know, hey, oh, you only wanted the bike for two or three hours? Well, we do have the $40 option or the $60 option. It's yours for the day. You can have it as long as you want. It's that's the def. We don't have an hourly rate. You know, we just can't. <laughs> it sounds like admitting to a weakness, but we just can't handle it. We've learned from experience. We just can't deal with it. And maybe we'll get to the point where we're good enough that we can start to do that and to try to juggle that. But for the flow of work for our team, knowing that the start of the day, everything needs to be ready. And by the end of the day, everything needs to be prepped and tuned and having that gap in between, you know, sleeping, <laughs> you know, and prepping and having that's what works best. We do have higher end reservations that go for $100 for a premium carbon bike. And then we have our premium carbon E full suspension bikes are, that are $130 a day. So if somebody really wants that premium experience, uh, we've got a good selection of those bikes. Yeah. If someone doesn't have a rack to transport the rental bike, especially like a heavy e-bike, do you provide a rack or a delivery service? That would be really cool if we did. And it's an idea floating out there, but we just haven't had the resources to get to that point yet. We'll ride yeah. just from the shop then and hit the trail. Yeah. And that's, that's the saving grace of that. You know, it's like yeah. people almost rarely have to have that. Every now and then we'll get somebody who thinks they have to have that. And we'll have to explain to them again, like, hey, you can get to Slaughter Pen, you can get to Kohler, and you can even ride into Bella Vista fairly quickly and access a lot of trails. But also like Ubering a pickup truck and then getting a tailgate pad, that's something people can do or renting a truck. But yeah, there's definitely lots of opportunity for us to kind of grow from the position we're in to offer more services. Talk to myself, talk to my boss. That's the last thing we want to do right now (laughs) because we've been working so hard the last two or three years. And, you know, as you know, it's sometimes it's hard to find the people that just run the show that you have. So what kind of maintenance is required by your staff for each rental? I mean, you talked about prep. I know you have a separate building for the rentals. Yeah. So we have a separate location. Our customers will come in the main store and then we'll direct them over about a block away to their rental building where the team there will grab the bike for them and get them set up. But basically, yeah, it's a lot of washing bikes down and doing kind of a thorough tune-up. Doing the deep down maintenance is something that we've tried to improve over time. Because, you know, the season is long here, you know, you can go from February, March, all the way to November and have these bikes rented out every other day or every day. So things like replacing bearings and full suspension bikes and doing the deep down suspension service, that can be a challenge, but that's something we have to do. So there's a lot more maintenance than you would expect. It's not just clean down, make sure the shifting's good. And there you go. Things like dropper posts 
you know, cables there and it, you know, they take a beating and uh, it's like, I can't imagine like how much abuse some of these bikes get, you know, it's like a rental car, you know, people will abuse them. <laughs> I know. And, and everywhere you turn around here, the trails are encouraging recreational riders to send it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and to do things that maybe they've never done before. And so, yeah, those bikes, God forbid, like actually one time I was at a playground with my kids and I saw a couple people on e-bikes riding up towards the trailhead where near where I live in Bella Vista. And I saw one of them had a chain fell off and I was like, Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> and so I like walk over to him. And I'm just like, Hey, are those, uh, did your chain just fall off? Is that a, one of the rental bikes from fat tire? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, Oh, well, let me help you with that. You know, get the chain put back together and stuff. And thank goodness you know, it's able to help them at that point. But that reminds me, you know, on this subject, I think um, not to preempt a question or two, but e-bikes, electric assist mountain bikes, a lot of the pain points come from those bikes, primarily from drivetrain issues. And I think the whole industry kind of knows this by now, but we've sort of been in the middle of the mess, I guess, for the last couple of years as, as we're all using standard 12-speed drivetrains on bikes with motors that have a lot of torque and of course people have a lot of torque in their legs <laughs> and you know there's no clutch on these bikes there's nothing that eases the strain on that chain as people shift and go over bumps and various things so drivetrains wear out really fast and chains break and chains fall off and we feel horrible when that happens but you know we've grown and learned a lot and given a lot of feedback to Trek and other brands. And all we can do is just do our best. And when bad things happen for our customers, we don't hesitate a second. Typically we just, all right, sorry, that was a bad experience. Here's your money back. <laughs> you know, don't use that guys who are listening to this podcast, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's obviously been an issue with the bike that we rented out. We do not hesitate. We just take care of them because we know how much of a bummer that can be for people. So basically, and, what is the useful life of a rental bike? And I'm sure an e-bike is different than a standard bike. Yeah, I think that for a standard bike, if you're taking good care of it, it seems like a couple of years. For an electric bike, electric assist bike, it's probably more like a year. But then yeah, do you try to refresh the stock, you know, like, or do you try and have the most current models? And are you able to sell them after their rental or do people come in so excited after renting an e-bike and like i want one and sell one yeah our buyer basically places an order specifically for the rental fleet under demos and you know how things are now with the supply chain it's basically like well we put our order in and then just wait and we just keep trying to repair what we have until the new ones come in we have a pretty good fleet right now with a lot of new treks thank goodness yeah every now and then a couple more new ones come in and we're like yay we can get rid of this old one that looks horrible and uh yeah we just sell it used you know maybe half retail or more or less given its condition and when i was in bentonville a couple of weeks ago i was really excited to see how many families were riding you know not only mm -hmm. the, the greenway trail which if people don't know it's a paved path that goes mm -hmm. all over. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many miles that path is, but they're also on the mountain bike trails and in the bike parks. So you offer rentals for kids then too, right? 
We do. Yeah, we do. We have 24-inch wheel bikes, Trek Roscoe's. They've got disc brakes and kind of wider tires, so they're a little bit better for um, the trails around here than your standard kit's 24-inch wheel bike. And we have some 20-inch wheel bikes as well. But there is, I think, room for picking up a few more, you know, not to be critical, but, you know, I think the bike industry as a whole could do better, like the big brands do better as far as having those more premium kids full suspension bikes for kind of the groms and stuff for the kind of the eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds, full suspension kids, bikes size to them, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, I wish for that just because our market's perfect for that. There are some smaller brands out there that offer those kinds of bikes, but we don't sell those. So it'd be nice to see more of those. If an eight year old who's a good bike rider shows up, I want to give them like a little full suspension bike to go ride. You know, I think it'd be cool. Well, hopefully and, uh, some of those brands are listening and maybe they'll make some changes. Yeah, I think there's a market for it at this point. And I think um, like, you know, Bentonville, I think is a good role model for other communities. And if so, they'll see all these little kitty trails that we have around here. You know, they're so perfect. And the bike know. park are amazing. How many different bike yeah. parks there are? Yeah, four, five, six-year-olds around here can do these big old whoop-de-woo trails and bank turn, little skill zones and stuff. It's it really like makes this area, I think, because, you know, if you're from out West and you're like, well, there's no mountains here, that's not really a mountain biking destination, you know, and you're like, well, but for families in, in particular, you come here and there's just so much more, I think, than your typical mountain biking destination, playful, fun kinds of spots along the way. And of course the bike pass, you know, for example, Slaughter Pen and Kohler, they have a paved path right down the middle, right? Right along a stream for a couple miles or so. And all along that paved path where mom or dad could be riding off to the sides, there's the little dirt paths. And they've just got these fun little features and little whoop-de-woos and the kids could be riding on that. And the adults, if they don't care about mountain biking, could be riding on the pavement. So in a way it's set up so you can keep your eyes on your kids really well. They could be having a lot of fun and kind of maybe pushing themselves a little bit to do bigger skills and this and that. So, yeah, we were on uh, all American and came up behind this girl. I would say she was six or seven mm -hmm. and she was just having a ball on her little pink bike, and her pink helmet. Mm -hmm. She was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, we're not, go ahead, have fun. <laughs> and it was so great to see. Yeah. So, it's really, I think the key for the future mountain biking, not to state the obvious, but you know, when I think about what I had to learn to ride when I was young versus like what kids have around here, kids, it's the anti-video game, you know, it's the trails, being outdoors, being active, the perfect solution for you know, a lot of the issues we have with young people today. So very true. Not to get on, not to get on a high horse or whatever. <laughs> so I want to segue a little bit, do a little legal stuff here. Sure. What type of insurance does the shop have to safeguard against stolen rental or a rider gets injured? and getting sued, you know, what type of insurance and waivers do you have? Well, I honestly do not have my finger on that pulse. I don't know what insurance fat tire carries when it comes to the rentals. We just ask people to sign waivers and the waivers just say, Hey, you know, if you crash or you break the bike, you're responsible. And sometimes people are renting a $10,000 bike and they're like, <laughs> Okay, so is there an insurance option or something that I can, you know, pay for? There's not right now. You know, that's a continuing discussion amongst myself, my boss, and other 
people and you know various people pushing for it. We learn every month or two, we learn more. We just had the Santa Cruz demo truck in the store and and the, the guy running that, uh, great guy, Scott, he actually ran a BRM system and he told me about how they had integrated insurance into their program and it worked out really well for them. So that is a surprise for a lot of people that yeah. we don't have that option. And your homeowner's insurance doesn't cover it either. No, probably not. <laughs> I, I wouldn't think so, but it's hard to say. How so, friendly is your insurance agent? <laughs> so how do you promote your rental fleet to riders who are visiting the area? Well, we're super fortunate because the marketing of Bentonville over the last, I don't know, six or seven years has been amazing. Thanks to all those involved, Visit Bentonville, Chamber of Commerce here, the Walton Family Foundation. There's articles about Bentonville and all the different magazines, you know, the YouTube videos. Everyone comes in and it's like, oh, I want to ride that trail that I saw in the YouTube video, you know. So all at the height of the modern way of spreading the stoke you know with youtube especially but but other uh, websites fat tire has been fortunate enough to be kind of in the middle of it all the last shop i worked in boise idaho called idaho mount touring the owner came to me with a copy of bicycle retailer and bentonville was on the cover of it this was after i gave him my two weeks notice and and uh he's like josh you son of a bitch you're going to <laughs> you're going to bentonville you're going to go to the epicenter of mountain biking and i was like yep that's the plan my wife and I moved here without jobs. Of course, we had family, which that's the only way that would have worked, right? But but yeah, moved here, came to Fat Tired, first place I applied. Didn't get the job right away, but but we knew, you know, with the experience that I had, you know, 19 years at that time, I was going to land somewhere, you know. Always want to work for the winning team. So came to Fat Tire and yeah, it's been hot and heavy ever since. <laughs> well, that's great. So as we wrap up, any suggestions you have to a, a shop looking to get into renting bikes or wanting to increase their rental sales? Yeah, well, definitely having an online booking app or website is important so that you can manage your bikes and uh, manage those reservations that are coming in and out. That's huge. You definitely want to, as with anything, I guess, have an amazing team of people running the show at your rental shop, you know, it's a lot of hard work and you need somebody who's very organized and meticulous, who's going to ensure that things are 100% prepped. Caution with e-bikes is another tip I'd give, you know, you better be prepared to be able to pull motors out of e-bikes and rewire them and route dropper posts through the frames, which can be a pain in the butt. I can imagine people actually running a rental operation without e-bikes, just considering how much more maintenance they add to the overall operation. But here you got to have it because it's the best thing to do in this area. If you want to have the most fun and one of the most fun places to ride, you get an e-bike and you just ride more than the other guy. <laughs> you just ride farther and ride more. And then when you go home, you know, you've done your best, but yeah, so you definitely want to watch out for the e-bikes, be ready for some work with those. And you want to just stay organized and make sure you adhere to 100% prep and yeah, be in it to win it. You know, we want to make sure we don't want to encourage anybody else to open up a rental shop here, <laughs> although that's pretty much inevitable, but we want to make sure that as a company, we're running strong enough that we're going to weather whatever the economy is going to do up and down and whatever the competition wants to bring. We want to be ready for it. Yeah, this is all great information. So I'm sure mm -hmm. everybody <laughs> appreciates you sharing it. 
So Josh, thanks for joining me today and sharing all this great information. And I'm sure people that have shops all over the United States are looking at possibly increasing their rental business or adding it as an offering. Yeah. Good luck to those guys. And it's been fun talking to you. Well, thank you for listening to Bicycle Retailer Radio. This podcast is designed specifically for the bicycle industry, dedicated to strengthening our retailers and cycling community. If it is your first episode, we urge you to take time and listen to our past podcasts. In each podcast, you will find a relatable insight and a deeper dive into the heart of the bicycling industry. The show is made possible through advertisements from our sponsors, and please consider supporting them as they have us. You can learn more about advertising and donate to the show online at nbda.com. And finally, the easiest way to support the show is to first subscribe to the show, then share your favorite episode with friends and online. You can go one step further and leave a review. It helps members of our industry find our podcast. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening and see you back here soon. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com.